Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. That's the securities rights governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm ever yours, Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show, we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we'd love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right. The Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you. Reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right. Please get out of the thought control business. Our topics du jour, as you may have heard, well, U.S. District Judge Dowdy rules that the Missouri-Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration, quote, has standing, unquote. And says, quote, the threat of future censorship is substantial. And the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat of further censorship is not illusory. Unquote. Oh, by the way, also U.S. House uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this Democrat out of New York, Queens, I think. She's arguing that giving parents more rights than the state over their children's education, quote unquote, equals fascism. You got to wonder, does this unevolved bartender possess even a passing familiarity with the King's English? Even just a, just a bit of familiarity with the King's English, just a bit. Anyway, assisting in the opining and analyzing over the show, Michael Morris, managing editor at the Media Research Center's Free Speech America and MRC Business. Michael, good to have you back. How are you today? Good afternoon. Doing well. Thank you for having me on. No, pleasure, pleasure. I want to get right to it. Now, there's this ruling by... Uh, U.S. District Judge Terry Dowdy, um, and, 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 and it, it appears that thanks to this ruling, the Biden administration's reign of censorial terror against the American people is going to finally face a formidable challenge in court, and I think it's the kind that will likely take it down once and for all. We're not there yet, I know, but the lawsuit's been brought by the states of Louisiana and Missouri, along with a group of uh, renowned doctors and scientists and civil rights activists. Now, this thing now grants these folks the standing necessary to share the proof of how the Biden administration has been both compelling as well as tag-teaming with big tech to censor all of us, 
our dissent against the government's narratives on everything ranging from COVID-19 to elections to the Hunter Biden laptop story. How big of a deal is this in your estimation? Well, this is, this is a very big deal. You know, it, we've uncovered over here at the Media Research Center over 5,200 documented cases of censorship. And in fact, the, the case that you're referring to here brought by Missouri actually cites Media Research Center's exclusive censortrack.org database. They relied in part on our study about Joseph R. Biden, President Biden. We tallied 646 documented cases of censorship that was pro-Biden between March 10th through 2020 through March 10th, 2022. The worst cases of censorship involved platforms targeting anyone who dared to speak out about the subject related to the New York Post bombshell report on the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. Big Tech also axed those who blamed the current inflation crisis on Biden. Shocker there, right? Uh, The largest category by far, however, included users who dared to call out Biden's notoriously creepy, touchy-feely behavior. Um, Just outrageous stuff. In fact, 232 of the documented cases were comedic memes, videos, or generic posts about Biden's uh, you know, creepy behavior around women and children. And those were getting slammed down as misinformation or disinformation. Censored left and right by the big tech oligarchs. It strikes me as uh, too, too weird. Just so very, very weird when you think about it. It, it, uh, I mean, the, the idea that they use misinformation or disinformation as a justification for, for, uh, censorship, uh, seems to be self-invalidating at the core. Let's say something is misinformation or disinformation. How does that make it rise to the level of that which justifies government censorship? I mean, think about it. Everybody disagreeing with one another does so because each believes the other two be misinformed. But since when has that ever been enough to justify shutting down dissent? I ask you. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it's it's preposterous on the face of it. In fact, the Biden administration even tried to create a disinformation governance board to track exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about now in, in concert with big tech to shut down American speech. You know, the Orwellian nature of this Biden regime, and that's what I'm calling it, the Biden regime, is is out of control. And we have this case here that is that is showcasing exactly the sort of nonsense been taking place behind the scenes between government and big tech no and this is this is hitting hard i mean you got this 77 page ruling where dowdy wrote that the plaintiffs have demonstrated the required standing to illustrate that there was federal coercion responsible for suppressing their opposing views on facebook twitter youtube linkedin you name it and that without intervention it will most assuredly continue let me ask you, is this close to the beginning of the holy grail of government accountability finally coming to fruition, or am I perhaps being too sanguine about this development? Well, we can certainly hope so. Look, you know, there have been numerous bombshell reports and, and, and things being uncovered uh, over the last several months. We've had the Twitter files coming out exposing a lot we've had of course this case exposing a lot and others finding let me ask you my friend from... for, sorry to interrupt sorry to step yeah, on your diphthong sure. there but sure. to what degree do you think the twitter file revelations maybe helped in this suit if at all well so so it what it's done is it's it's shown the public the information that's been been 
given back and forth between the administration officials, between agencies, between Congress members. It's it's allowed the public a glimpse behind the curtain, if you will, and it and it's applied public pressure uh, on on courts, on media, on the White House itself. And and you know, unfortunately, in this day and age, if you don't have the public backing, you know, a lot of this stuff gets brushed under the rug. Well, you can't b- brush under the rug an actual lawsuit that's now been regarded as uh, um, worthy of moving forward because it's achieved the standard of standing. Uh, once again, Judge Dowdy emphasized that the threat of future censorship is substantial and the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat of further censorship is not a loser, is, is not illusory uh, or merely speculative. Uh, end of quotation again. Now, let me ask you, while this has been cleared for trial, is it likely that this ruling of standing will itself be challenged by the Biden administration before this trial takes place? Or will they just go, go along with going straight to the trial to avoid the elongation of their embarrassment and seek appeal in the more conventional sense? Your take. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And of course, it remains to be seen. But the Biden administration has been pressuring big tech for quite some time now. We've got numerous reports. Uh, if you recall, back uh, in 2021, July 16th, in fact, the White House used Senator for Countering Digital Hate to actually push for uh, censorship of what they called the disinformation dozen. Uh, the White House was actually putting pressure on Silicon Valley to handle uh, vaccine, quote unquote, misinformation, uh, singling out 12 people on platforms for censorship. And apparently Facebook reportedly took, quote unquote, action against those so-called disinformation dozen after the White House pressure. So it's not just Twitter. It, you know, it's Facebook and it's other platforms as well. Of course, uh, in this case, it talks about LinkedIn and, and others, too. This drives me nuts because these idiots hiding behind their claims of censorship, um, it, it just doesn't validate their crushing of free speech because accusations of misinformation and disinformation have to be shown, not merely stated. You, you, you've you got to illustrate it, not merely declare it. I mean, these are non-existent standards until they're each given a specific measure, which is then defended. Otherwise, they're meaningless, nebulous terms that anyone can say in a temper tantrum. You can't just have one side getting to determine when misinformation arises, because then only the other side will ever be cited as the one who misinforms. Isn't that fair to say? Well, look, it's, it's always clear the answer to bad speech is more speech, not suppressing it. Bingo. Michael, if you can, buddy, hang on the line for just a bit, folks. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Stick with us. New research released to mark the International Day of Math reveals that math is the subject most American adults say they're afraid of, but it's also the subject they most want their children to be good at. So to help them support their children in building confidence with numbers, a new, fun and engaging computer game called Teach Your Monster Number Skills has hit the market. Junaid Mabeen is a math expert from Number Skills, and he says building your child's confidence from an early age is vital. Getting kids confident with numbers from a very young age is so important to their long-term success in mathematics. And the reason I use Teach Your Monster Number Skills with my own children is that it teaches them about numbers, about how creative and, and playful numbers can be. It's very fun and also educationally very powerful. You can download this great game today. Just search for Teach Your Monster Number Skills online. It's available on all desktop and mobile devices. Trust me, you won't regret it. 
This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left-right, black-white, two-dimensional approach. Well, U.S. District Judge Dowdy rules that the Missouri-Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration has standing and says that, quote, the threat of future censorship is substantial and the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat of further censorship is not illusory. Um, also, U.S. House of Representative, uh, I should say, you know, Congresswoman, let's just put it this way, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whatever. She's arguing that giving parents more rights than the state over their children's education somehow equals fascism. Does this person have even a passing familiarity with the King's English? How can it be fascist to give people more rights versus taking them away? 
Isn't that the very antithesis of fascism? And how is it fascist to take away powers from the state and instead give them to the people? How is this tantamount to fascism? Makes zero sense. Anyway, assisting in the opining and analyzing, we have old friend of the show, Michael Morris, managing editor at the Media Research Center's Free Speech America and MRC Business. Michael, appreciate you dropping by and sticking around. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, back to this um, censorship case that Louisiana and Missouri have. Um, others joined it. You know, you got epidemiologist uh, Jay Bhattacharya, uh, also Martin Koldorf. Uh, these guys co-wrote the Great Barrington Declaration that opposed lockdowns. You also have psychiatrist Aaron uh, uh, Chiariti, who was fired by the University of California, Irvine, for rejecting its COVID vaccine mandate. Um, and you've got the judge giving this case standing. Now, standing has three points of criteria for what constitutes um, when people are able to legitimately bring a case. And they're based on the Supreme Court's ruling uh, from Lujan v. Defenders of Wildlife, 1992. Just to truncate it mercifully, three main things are you need injury in fact. This is where, you know, you show that a harm is actual or is imminent. It can't merely be conjectural or hypothetical. Number two, causation. You have to show how the harm that's been done to you is traceable to the controversial conduct and focus. And finally, uh, finally we have likelihood of redress uh, this would be where the plaintiff must identify the remedy that a court's ruling could offer. And it strikes me that each of these boxes have been thoroughly ticked by Missouri and Louisiana and the additional plaintiffs. Where am I mistaken? Well, look, I, I, I think you're right. And what's interesting for our purposes here at the Media Research Center, we, we again, have an exclusive centertrack.org database where we get a snapshot of the, the types of censorship that are occurring across the country from these big tech platforms. And we currently have over 5,200 documented cases of censorship. And we've also done something you know, fairly unique as well. We're, we're tracking the harm that occurs. So anytime that an account gets censored uh, for whatever reason, the followers of that account are prevented from seeing important information. And in particular, with regard to COVID-19, sometimes they were prevented from seeing information from doctors. You mentioned psychologists as well. Sometimes it's, it's news information that, that the public is being kept from seeing, among other things. So this is the actual harm, or, or, or in some cases, the injury in fact, in a, in a legal case, that you could see uh, happening from, from big tech censorship. It's just, it's just outrageous, uh, the amount of censorship that has been going on here in the country uh, in 2023. Folks, if you're just joining us, uh, we have on board old friend of the show, uh, Michael Morris, managing editor at the Media Research Center of Free Speech America. He's also there with MRC Business. Um, and we've seen this sort of growing uh, likelihood of, of a case that was going to go somewhere. Because from testimony gained in discovery depositions, uh, through other matters, you know, Louisiana, Missouri, um, we understand that the testimony they've gotten along the way confirms that the FBI did run a censorship operation during the presidential election of 2020 election, and they did it by coordinating with social media companies to 
remove content by merely claiming uh, it to be disinformation, while in fact it was often nothing more than dissent not to their liking. Uh, that, of course, suggested the government's requests uh, succeeded about half the time when having these meetings with Big Tech. We also understand that Elvis Chan, who is still with the FBI, he's an assistant uh, special agent in charge of the cyber uh, branch, at least out of San Francisco, he apparently explained to lawyers in deposition, this is the lawyers for Missouri and Louisiana, that uh, the, you know, in general the, in, in the lawsuit that social media censorship took place. And he supervised a command post in his home city that helped the nationwide disinformation uh, censorship operation function as, as early as 2020, the fall thereof. I mean, the guy talked about the sprawling operation at a time, uh, enlisted the help of the FBI field offices around the country, federal prosecutors, the FBI, the Justice Department. Uh, you know, it, he went on to say, quote, we would receive some responses from the social media companies. I remember in some cases they would relay that they had taken down the post. In other cases, they would say that this did not violate the terms of service. So while they often went along with the government quite willing, there were, there were other times when even big tech would balk against the coercion. Isn't that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. But you mentioned something earlier, uh, talking about Facebook. Uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg actually went on, that's the CEO of Facebook, went on the Joe Rogan experience and actually openly talked about how Facebook was pressured by the FBI before the 2020 election to censor the Hunter Biden laptop information, of course, suggesting that it was Russian disinformation. And the FBI said after Zuckerberg's statement that the bureau, quote, unquote, routinely works with social media companies to censor. I mean, this is outrageous stuff. The Media Research Center actually did a survey uh, shortly thereafter the election in, in, in 2020 and found that had Democrat Joe Biden voters known about the information that was suppressed, both in the media and by big tech companies, that 9.4 percent of them would not have voted for then candidate Joe Biden. And Donald Trump would have won all six swing states and he would be president of the United States today. That just, again, shows you the type of harm that censorship can have, the type of impact that it can have uh, on elections. That's right. Now, which there were a number of polls that showed that when which is the most noteworthy one, as you recall? Um, well, again, we, MRC, Media Research Center, did a did a poll with McLaughlin and Associates and, and found that 9.4% of Biden voters, now this is actual Biden voters, uh, said that if they had known about that information, they would not have voted for then-candidate Joe Biden. Which no, would no, have I respect that, but I think I, I, I think there were other polls also that, that echoed that same finding. I'm just trying to... Uh, add that much more credence to to your own organizations because you were not the only one. Yours was not the only poll that found uh, similar sentiments. Isn't that fair to say? Uh, I, I tangentially saw other other polls as well, but yeah, it's it's clear that big tech censorship has an enormous impact on the everyday lives of Americans, and it's just not something that should be happening in America. No, no. And the government was tag teaming with the Election Integrity Partnership that had four organizations under themselves. Uh, you got the Stanford Internet Observatory, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, and Grapika, which is the social media analytics firm. They all tag team with government to suppress Americans' voice. 
This is what's coming out in this case as well. Stick with us. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is in the air, and now's the time to spring forward with a delicious breakfast from Burger King, an all-natural Simply Orange juice. Begin your day with a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant, or a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit on a warm buttermilk biscuit. And make it a meal. All Burger King breakfast sandwiches go great with crispy hash browns and pair perfectly with a Simply Orange juice with no added sugar. Never sweetened, never concentrated, and never frozen. Simply Orange goes perfectly with breakfast at Burger King and is rich in vitamin C. And now through March 31st on the BK app, Royal Perks members get a free single core sandwich with any Simply Orange juice purchase. Use code BREAKFAST to redeem. Get a jump on spring with breakfast at Burger King. Because you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, Royal Perks account required. Restrictions apply. See offer terms for details. Not valid on delivery orders. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving 
is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who... Have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Well, there's a lot of fury surrounding the whole idea of parental rights and education. Um, you have people like uh, Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez describing uh, such a bill of rights as tantamount to fascism. I don't know how it is that one gets to that point. Uh, she can't tether her assertions to any um, required grounds of validation she can't tether her her claims to their required uh foundational merits to any uh measurable standards of accountability and dialogue and debate all it is is just using labels in lieu of arguments she can't otherwise say or she can't otherwise provide how is it that letting parents have more control over their kids education than would otherwise be handed down from Mount High by the state, somehow tantamount to fascism. Isn't it the direct antithesis of fascism? Since when aren't parents allowed to have greater access to what goes into their children's education? Since when should the state have final say over education versus what the parents may want to know when, in fact, what we're talking about is a nation in which leaders rule by the consent of the governed, not the other way around. And therefore, everybody working in the state is part and parcel of that same dynamic. Nothing gets reversed. At issue is not the First Amendment rights of the teachers to tell the kids whatever they want. The First Amendment rights belong to the parents to point out where they would like to be informed. They're not saying that they themselves have to be set up as teachers and set up core curriculum, but they sure as hell should be entitled to know what the curriculum entails. And there's nothing fascist about making that demand. But you have some very bizarre people trying to argue just the opposite. The Washington Post has a piece entitled Parents' Rights? How about a parent's bill of responsibilities instead? I mean, folks, this is pretty sick stuff. Let's hear from a lot, uh, 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 AOC herself, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez herself, addressing this bill, and then we'll get to our illustrious guest. Uh, clip two, James, if you please. They are asking. 
asking the Republican Party to keep culture wars out of classrooms. Our children need urgent and aggressive educational solutions. The American Library Association coming out against this Republican proposal. When we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive value is, and that is freedom over fascism. A nice try, but a general reference does not a specific argument satisfy. She's actually arguing that giving parents more rights than the state over their children's education somehow equals fascism. But again, she cannot tether that assertion to any measurable standard of accountability and dialogue and debate. How is it that parents having more access to transparency regarding the children's education is tantamount to fascism? Fascism is not when you take power away from the state and return more of it to the people. Fascism happens when that process goes in the opposite direction. Or maybe I'm missing out on something here. Anyway, assisting in the opining and analyzing, we have Jonathan E. Mordo, friend of the show, Senate candidate in the state of Virginia. He's also a constitutional attorney, columnist for USA Today magazine, co-host of the Sacred Fire of Liberty Hour on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, Jonathan, good to have you back. And where am I overstating a damn thing, sir? You're not. You know, we start off with whose rights are at issue anyway. I mean, what we have here are parents' rights, which under numerous Supreme Court decisions of uh, interpreting the 14th Amendment have determined that parents have a right over the education and upbringing of their children. This makes perfect sense. And the schools are mere proxies for parents. When you deliver your child to a public school, you're not ending your rights at the schoolhouse gate. Your rights persist. And so a child in a school is protected by those rights. And what we have here is a regime that has instituted critical race theory and gender fluidity, gender studies that are ruinous to kids, destroying their identities and making them uh, social justice warriors. And all parents want to do is simply have control over their own child's academic destiny. And, and that it is seems their even right. The cr- and it seems even the critics... But paradoxically enough, make your point even as they're making the opposite argument. Again, you got this uh, piece out of the Washington Post by Petula Dvorak. A uh, Dvorak, I'm sorry, uh, spelled D-V-O-R-A-K, D-V-O-R-A-K, Petula Dvorak. And the headline is "Parents' Rights." How about a parent's bill of responsibility? And she says, "Look, if you know if they don't like it in the public schools," she writes. There are options these folks might consider, homeschooling or parochial or private schools. Well, think about it. If they have the option to take their kids to these other arenas, that means that by default we're saying parents have the greater overarching right over their kids versus the state. And as you pointed out, just because some kids or many kids are being taught by the state through the public school system doesn't mean that somehow the parents have relinquished that otherwise repeatedly recognized overarching stronger uh, privilege over their kids' education. Isn't that fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, take a look at this. We've got schools all over the country indoctrinating kids with this whole notion, which is Marxist, 
that somehow uh, all of their kids ought to adhere to a strict party line, a far-left line defined by racism, where they review everyone through a racial prism. They don't look at their content of their characters. They look at the race, the color of the skin, and they divide kids based on race, and they ascribe to children of color, that they are victims in society, to systemic racism, and they ascribe to white children that they're hopelessly oppressors. This nonsense, which is absolutely false and totally propagandistic, is what they're trying to defend, because parents are livid about that, and they don't want their kids indoctrinated. They want their kids educated, and the schools are answerable to the parents, not the other way around. The parents are not answerable to the schools. The schools have custody of those parents' children and must respect their rights. And as I said, the law is very clear. They have a right over the education and upbringing of their children, and they don't lose those rights when their children go to school. Well, this is the problem with their inverted burden of proof structure in, in, in all of their arguments, which is why I think uh, because it's all unsustainable, the woke will eventually be put to sleep. But, um, you know, one of the things we're talking about or we're concerned about is uh, critical race theory being taught in schools. Now, one of CRT's biggest supporters is author and activist Ibram X. Kendi, who in July of 2021 told the American Federation of Teachers Conference that, quote, to be anti-racist is to admit the times which were being racist. And then he added, to be racist is to constantly, consistently deny, 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 like Donald Trump, unquote. All right. Now, what that means is in order for whites to be anti-racist, they must admit that they are racist because denying it would mean that they're racist. I mean, what the F? I mean, once you assert that anyone is more likely to be racist because of his or her pigmentation, isn't that exactly when your own racism becomes self-evident? Where am I mistaken? No, you're absolutely right. He, his whole philosophy is that racism is okay as long as it's directed against what he calls whites and now apparently what they call adjacent, uh, white adjacent, which are Asians. And this discrimination against people who are Caucasian and people who are Asian rages on under the social equity White agenda. adjacent, is that, that, that is right. That's what they're calling Asians right now, white adjacent. Why? Because this is a minority group that through um, working hard always manages to excel and seems to consistently rank uh, in the upper percentile when it comes to academic achievement, um, and yet they, it's being referred to as adjacent racism or, in this case, uh, adjacent um, uh, privilege or adjacent white. Uh, to me, that's just another inverted burden of proof argument. I mean, look, when these CRT proponents try to box folks into these maneuvered self-fulfilling prophecies with catch-22 endings, then I think they are most assuredly telling them that they're inherently racist because they leave no other option to those being accused. I mean, screw that. I mean, th this inverted burden of proof uh, approach is just, it's just silly. Now, again, I think, thankfully, the woke will be eventually put to sleep because their inverted burden of proof structure in all arguments is consistently unsustainable. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's a limit to how long folks can take seriously assertions endlessly predicated on what are merely just other assertions with only shaming tactics used as the validation. Would you agree with me when I point out that most catch on to the differences between a genuine premise versus the woke pretext pretending to be one? Jonathan. Absolutely. It really is sad. You know what the trick is? 
Through their strategy of shaming, these woke zealots undermine the primary measure of our right to choose our own individual paths, and they do this by using conjured secondary measures of allegedly higher morals in order to leverage their replacement. Screw that crap. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his his first first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. 
I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Covering a number of things here today, U.S. District Judge Dowdy rules that the Missouri-Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration has standing. Also says the, quote, the threat of future censorship is substantial, and the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat of further censorship is not illusory. Also... Uh, U.S. House of uh, U.S. House Representative Alexandria Casio Cortez argues that giving parents more rights than the state over their children's education equals fascism. So, does this unevolved bartender possess even a passing familiarity with the king's English? Anyway, switching gears, uh, switching gears a little bit, we have uh, assisting in the opining and analyzing old friend of the show, John Jordan, CEO of Jordan Winery. Boy, do I recommend this stuff. Phenomenal quality beverage, I'm telling you right now. He's also an attorney, as well as a, a Fox News contributor. Uh, he's here to chat with us actually a bit about uh, New York City's DA's uh, Bragg attempt, uh, DA Bragg's attempt to uh, uh, indict Trump. Nothing's happening yet. We all thought we were going to have an indictment drop this week, but some things have been falling apart. <laughs> John Jordan, good to have you back. How are you today? Not too bad. There's a lot going on in New York. I'll tell you that. Something is not right. Um, really? Trans- Costello turned on. Uh, tur- Costello made things. Uh, he's an, an attorney. He used to be uh, an attorney for uh, uh, Michael Cohn, I guess. Didn't he sort of throw a wrench into all the gears? Yeah, that's one way of putting it. It was a big wrench, too. Um, his testimony, and by the way, Alvin Bragg and the DA's office in New York tried very hard to not get um, Costello to say anything that might be exculpatory. But Costello, being an experienced trial lawyer himself, was able to work that into his answers. And that is that Trump didn't reimburse um, Cohen for that. It wasn't done at Trump's direction. Um, But more to the point is, there's, it's a real specious legal theory that Alvin Bragg is pursuing. First of all, they're pursuing Trump under a misdemeanor count of falsifying business records. And under New York law, that can be bumped up to a low-grade felony, 
if it is in the furtherance of another crime. And in this case, the other crime they're reaching for isn't a New York state crime, but a federal statute that deals with the disclosure of donations to campaigns. That's a, right. that, and federal crimes are pr- prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office. And in this case, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York declined to prosecute this. So they're trying to invade a federal crime into a state crime in an extremely novel legal theory with shaky facts. And the witness, uh, Michael Cohen, who was convicted of perjury, who openly said, and it was, uh, and this came got out in front of the grand jury too, that I will say anything, I will do anything to not go to jail. Uh, and he's <laughs> a convicted perjurer. So I think what you're seeing here, because the grand jury didn't meet yesterday, didn't meet Wednesday. There's no prospect in the meeting. Now there's rumblings from several sources saying that there's dissension inside the New York DA's office. Something is, something, this is going off the rails here. Not only that, there's so many other inconsistencies. I mean, first of all, Bragg wants to prosecute Trump for violating, uh, you know, 2016 federal campaign finance laws. And I mentioned this before. It's like he's using a three-bank shot without the cushions to get there because the statute of limitations has expired. The Fed's already found insufficient evidence. Uh, his witnesses have lost credibility. Uh, we also understand that even if, <clears throat> even if there wasn't a, an expiration of the statute of limitations, um, as far as uh, the case itself would be otherwise concerned, it still wouldn't pass muster because, uh, as Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett pointed out, quote, Bragg skipped over the part about dual-purpose contributions. That is, if money paid serves a double or ancillary function, then it is not a reportable expense or donation to the campaign. Hence, no crime was committed. This has been Trump's argument all along. He did it primarily for personal and commercial reasons. And, and that's the ending of the excerpt. But appear, apparently scores of other attorneys weighing in on this have agreed. And not only that, Stormy Daniels herself is on record on a number of occasions saying, hey, the affair never happened. I mean, how many more things can go wrong for Bragg? Yeah, you can't imagine. Let's, let's, let's step back and look at this big picture. Remember, Alvin Bragg didn't really want to prosecute a lot of this stuff and took a lot of ire from the left months and months ago. And he's a committed lefty, right? right. So he, so he, and he took a, he took a lot of punishment for that. Why now? It makes you wonder. We have all of this stuff coming out with Hunter Biden. I'm, I'm right um, and Hunter, with Hunter Biden right now. Um, we have all this stuff. I mean, all kinds of adverse stuff in the administration right now. You can't help but wonder if they're connected. Is it distractions? Yeah, it does seem to be very coincidental. I mean, you know, we know about the $3 million going to the Biden family through a, a family associate. Uh, but it all came from, you know, uh, communist Chinese companies. And they were distributed uh, to the Biden family. Yeah, and it would but seem that this would be a can't help but wonder is you know why now when Alvin Bragg didn't want to do this. Remember, he had prosecutors resign from his office because he didn't want to do this. Yeah, in protest. That's correct. Two of them in protest, and so so now all of a sudden he wants to under this under the 
even the New York, even the New York Times and the Atlantic think this is this is this is a a stretch. Now they want to get Trump at all costs, and they're hanging their hopes on other things. But even they are saying, "Jesus, this is really how we want to come out of the gate." Because it's also very strange, John. It's also very strange, isn't? It? I mean, indicting anyone for constructing a legal non-disclosure agreement, driven by a perfectly legal purpose to keep an accusation of infidelity secret. Does not a violation of federal campaign finance laws well, yeah, well, equal? And let's step back here, right? I mean, look at this from the, from the point of view of a New Yorker. Alvin Bragg isn't going to prosecute prosecution, you know, all these crime prosecution, all these crimes in New York. The Democrats in in the nineties were saying, well, you know, we had Bill Clinton was committed perjury. He lost his law license for a while, yeah. and 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 now and and he was doing it in the Oval Office. In the White House. And now, the, you know, you see the, the bloodlust from the leftist media really showing their true colors because whatever Trump did or didn't do long before he was president is, is somehow felonious. It makes no sense. And this is also kind of bizarre, especially this is especially the case when federal law enforcement right now is grotesquely fine with censoring a far more egregious revelation surrounding the Hunter Biden laptop story, yeah. thus blatantly committing election interference. I, I, I don't think any of this survives overall adjudication unless functionally illiterate no, arguments can now be taken seriously. What say you, John Jordan? I don't know. I think they probably don't bring charges in New York. It won't even pass muster with the grand jury, which normally, you know, they'll, they'll indict a ham sandwich. But guess what? Even a ham sandwich at least has some meat to it. There doesn't appear to be any here, does there, John? No, there does not. It's just a bunch of baloney. Oh, my God. John, always a blast. Folks, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. You hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website. MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.